David Pollack here. I hope you're enjoying the show. If you're looking for more information on any of our sponsors, or perhaps you want to hear a replay of a past show, make sure to visit thedavidpollockshow.com. There, you'll also find our latest articles, links to our social media, and opportunities to become a sponsor yourself. So remember to visit thedavidpollockshow.com. Patriots, listen up. It's time to wake up and smell the freedom. Beard Vet Coffee is here to fuel your American spirit. This isn't just coffee. It's a battle cry in a cup, a declaration of love for the land of the free and the home of the brave. Crafted by the hands of those who've walked the walk, talked the talk, and, yeah, grown the damn beard. Vet-founded, vet-focused, and beard-operated. This is coffee with a mission, a purpose, and a testament to the unyielding American spirit. It's a tribute to the tireless resolve that courses through the veins of our great nation. This is the taste of victory, the flavor of freedom, the coffee that stands as firm as our belief in America's destiny to lead and never to kneel. Beard Vet Coffee is more than a brand. It's a legacy steeped in the principles that make America great. It's for those who stand with pride under the stars and stripes, who uphold the values that light the torch of liberty for the world to see. So, are you ready to supercharge your day the American way? Beard Vet Coffee is not just a choice. It's a declaration of independence from mediocre mornings. Bold, brave, unbound, brewed for the American patriot. Beard Vet Coffee. Make your mornings great again. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I don't want you to protest, I don't want you to ride, I don't want you to write to your congressman because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the Russians and the crime in the street. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad! Wait a minute, wait a minute, you ain't heard nothing yet. Wait a minute, I tell you. I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Welcome to the David Pollack Show. I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore! Everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of the team. Everything is awesome. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another David Pollack Show. This actually is going to be the last live David Pollack Show for the year. Can you believe... That next Monday is Christmas. Where in the world did this year go? In less than a year, Donald Trump's going to be president again. President-elect. I I just can't believe where this time is going. We're surviving so far. But yeah, I can't believe it. So yeah, next next Monday, it's Christmas. And I hope you guys are, are opening gifts or hanging out with the family or if you're having your feasts of the seven fishes or whatever you do on Christmas. I hope you're doing it, not listening to my radio show. But if you want to, we'll have a best of on and you'll still enjoy it. But uh, I'll be spending time with family as well. But you got me today. You got me live. And uh, I I cannot believe. I I hope you guys are all having your shopping done. Uh, I basically didn't set up a store. Everything was done online. I want to remind you, you can always go to Public Square to find the stores, whether online or uh, in person, where you want to shop that supports conservative values. If you remember, we had Michael Seifert 
on the show a few weeks ago to talk about that. And um, so, yeah, I hope you guys are getting your shopping done, doing everything you have to do to get ready for Christmas, maybe getting your uh, streaming movie list together for your favorite Christmas movies. If you have a favorite Christmas movie, feel free to call in 407-774-8255 if you want to be part of the show, 407-774-8255 as always. So tonight we got an exciting show for you, but before I get into it, I want to give a special shout out to a new friend uh, that I made this weekend. His name's Julio. Uh, Raimundo is his last name. He is a car salesman, <laughs> uh, Cognin, or Cognin, uh Hyundai in DeLand. My in-laws were shopping for a new car, and, you know, I try to get the best deal, so I've called every Hyundai dealership on the planet to make sure they're getting a good price. They all try to BS me and, and have me come to dealerships and throw garbage fees at me and all, all that fun stuff that you experience why everybody hates buying cars. Uh, and I made one quick phone call to this one dealership just to kind of check on a price. I get Julio on the phone. And that dude made my life so easy. He literally gave, and these are not sponsors, guys. I'm just telling you about an experience that I had. Uh, he made my life so easy, uh, gave gave us the best price, was super competitive. I explained to my in-laws, you know, I don't want them getting taken advantage of. A couple of quick phone calls, and the whole process was buttoned up. If you need a Hyundai, uh, I will strenuously recommend that you call my new friend Julio. His personal cell phone number, which he gave me permission to share with you, is 321-402-4469. 321-402-4469. He is one of the good ones. And if you need to buy a car and you don't want to get hassled and you need somebody to trust, I I recommend Julio. And I appreciate you so much, everything you did for my in-laws. So thanks for that. All right, let's get right into it. Tonight, we got an exciting show for you. Uh, if you heard on The Adversaries, we got Tim Murtaugh coming back, a regular guest of The David Pollock Show. He's out with a brand new book called Swing Hard, in case you missed it, My Escape from Addiction and Shot at Redemption on the Trump campaign. Um, it's, it's really a, a, a fantastic look. Uh, and I didn't even know of his struggles with addiction and, and the way he was able to come back and and be very, very successful as Trump's communications director in 2020. And he's going to come and talk all about that tonight. Plus, we're going to talk about all kinds of exciting things with the primary and everything that's going on. I'm also going to be joined by Michael Thompson. He's the chairman of the Lee County GOP. Uh, we're going to discuss that controversy surrounding uh, Chairman Christian Ziegler. I'm sure you heard me mention it last week. Uh, the adversaries were talking about it, too. I mean, he was uh, getting in some trouble with the state party, and we're, we'll talk about that a little bit later when he joins. But uh, I want to tell you about some things uh, that's going on this week uh, in case you missed it, because, again, we only talk once a week. So I always need, uh, you know, to take a few minutes to uh, to talk to you guys and tell you what you missed since the last time we spoke. Um, you know, let me get right into the polls, Jeff. <laughs> That is our new Discussing the Polls jam for you, because we do try to talk about this every week uh, until the election. And let me tell you, uh, there aren't a lot of big shockers, but there's something interesting I'm going to share. Of course, you guys have probably seen that in some polls, Trump is leading Biden by 10 points. Somebody actually asked Biden about it right before that car DUI driver crashed into the motorcade. Was it a DUI driver? I don't know. 
Was that car that exploded at the border just a wreck or a health emergency? I don't know. Was that house that exploded in, in uh, I think it was Arlington, Virginia? Uh, was that from a flare gun? I don't know. There was another house that exploded. I forget where. You know, the, uh, you know, you know, help. <laughs> it's another coincidence. But uh, either way, uh, he, Biden was asked about it. He said, you're not looking at the right polls. So here in front of me, I have a bunch of polls. Let's go through them, shall we? Of course, Biden's disapproval ratings up to 55 percent. But that's no surprise. This is the big story that uh, mainstream media is trying to promote. That's Nikki Haley has 29 is pulling at 29 percent in New Hampshire to Trump's 44 in New Hampshire only, guys. But the reason why this is important, CBS News is salivating over this like, oh, my gosh. This is the greatest thing. There's another person that's not Trump that's doing well in the polls. So there's a whole whole article. I'm not going to read it. There's a giant article written about it, talking about all these great things that Nikki Haley has over Trump. They're hoping that that's going to be the anti-establishment person. I guess they're doing the math and they realize that if DeSantis, who's at 11 percent, Christie, who's at 10 percent, Ramaswamy, who's at 5 percent. He's not going anywhere, by the way. And Hutchinson, who's at 1 percent. They've done the math. And they realize that if everybody gets out and puts their support behind Haley, she can actually win New Hampshire. The math could suggest it if you assume that everybody supports DeSantis, Christie, Ramaswamy, and Hutchinson uh, would support Haley over Trump if they all got out of the race. So, of course, they're going to prop her up. She's the new DeSantis. DeSantis continues to be uh, the disappointing campaign of the season. Uh, He's only polling in New Hampshire at 11%. Iowa still only at 22% to Trump's 58%. Remind you, uh, Trump or DeSantis has been in Iowa basically since he was elected governor. <laughs> he's been to every county there, and he's only polling at 22%. Obviously, he's not going to have a win there. His campaign was steadfast in, don't worry, we'll win Iowa, and then we'll go on to win New Hampshire, and then this is a different race. Well, he doesn't look like he's going to win Iowa And he certainly doesn't look like he's going to win New Hampshire, not even come in second, not even close. So maybe it's time, Governor DeSantis, come back to Florida. It's warm. It's cold in Iowa. Come on back to Florida. The state needs you. There's a lot of stuff going on here. Our insurance prices are getting out of control. Uh, The state party is in shambles. We'll talk about that a little later. So maybe it's time to button this up. Maybe it's time for everybody to get out of this race. And finally put their support behind President Trump. You guys are wasting your money. You're wasting your time. And as you've heard, uh, it doesn't look like Trump's going anywhere. I know you guys are disappointed about that. I'm going to talk to you about something that the uh, Democrats are trying with the Supreme Court in about a second. But uh, guys, button it up. Get behind Trump. Stop dividing the party. Come on home and let's work together to save America. That's all I'm going to say. I can go through these polls a little bit more, but I'm not going to. The story is the same. Um... Trump is winning in every single one of them, and head-to-head against Biden, he's winning there, too. So, you know, that's enough about polls for now, because I got more that I want to talk to you guys about. I want to talk to you about something I even predicted a few months ago. Um, this whole thing about the Supreme Court, then trying to go after Clarence Thomas, trying to suggest recusal. They're trying to tarnish the reputation of the Supreme Court in order to kind of strengthen their hand. When the inevitable case got before them, well, sure enough, here we are. Democrats are calling for Clarence Thomas to recuse himself from uh, the the pending uh, case there in front of the Supreme Court. Interesting. I don't think it's going to go well. He's not going to recuse himself. But, of course, that's what they're calling for in the Trump immunity case. They want to increase their chances, uh, you know, manipulating the courts. 
they can't beat Trump in the polls. They'll beat him somewhere, but it doesn't look like it's going to work out. But just stay tuned for that. Of course, they're always trying to manipulate something. So there's also, and the American adversaries mentioned this too, um, they're trying to remove the Robert E. Lee Memorial. I'm sorry, not the Robert E. Lee Memorial. Strike that. <laughs> they're trying to do, uh, remove the Confederate monument in Arlington. They were about ba- basically ready to pull it off the statue. And then a federal judge stayed the removal. Interestingly, for you history buffs out there, uh, Robert E. Lee, it's his land, by the way, Civil War general, um, that, uh, that, that the Arlington Cemetery sits on. But the idea is this, guys. They're attacking these monuments. And I, and I just talked about this with Chris Hart a few minutes ago on the American Adversaries. These monuments are there to remind people of a time in this country where we were so divided that we took up arms against one another. When the country almost fell apart, broken apart, more Americans were killed during the Civil War than in any foreign war. These monuments were built to remind this country how we reunified and how we moved forward together. And they want to tear those down. Why? Interesting that there's a new movie coming out called Civil War. I don't know if you saw the previews for this, where they're suggesting that uh, there's going to be a civil war in America. At the same time, they're pulling down the monuments that remind us of the cost of civil war. Divided, we fall. We need to be unified, and they don't want it. Luckily for now, we uh, seem to have avoided this latest monument from being torn down. So pay attention to that. Uh, there is one other thing I want to mention to you that we're not going to have time to get into tonight, but um, it's something we're going to talk about on a future show. I'm not sure if you saw this, and this is actually a win for Ron DeSantis. I'm going to give him credit for that, uh, where we now have the death penalty for pedos in Florida. And there's a case now um, in Florida where now they're trying to, to, the first time, this was somebody who did not nice things. Uh, sometimes my kids listen to the show, so I'm not going to go into detail. Not nice things with a young person, and now he's facing the death penalty. And there is Supreme Court precedent that suggests that it's not constitutional because of uh, the cruel and unusual punishment. But we have a different Supreme Court. So we're going to talk about that more in depth at a later show. I uh, just wanted to preview that for you. So that's about all I can share with you because i got to go to a quick break. And when I come back... We're going to talk about the Christian Ziegler controversy with Michael Thompson. So don't go anywhere. The Dave Show will be right back. If you guys ever played Top Gun on, uh, and now, by the way, my show is going to be banned in Russia. Every time that song comes on, you're not allowed to watch it on YouTube in Russia. I don't know. Um, But I don't know if you guys remember on the old school Nintendo, there was a game called Top Gun. 
and that was the theme song for obviously it's the theme song but when you were selecting your options on the video game or if it got frozen because you didn't wiggle it back and forth um <laughs> that and we you just went to break a, we missed a spot but that's okay we'll fix it um but yeah that's the song that's playing so i'm listening and it, it brought back memories of playing top gun i want to introduce michael thompson to the david pollock show michael thompson welcome to the show Hey, David. How are you, sir? I appreciate it. Thank you. No, absolutely. It's an honor to talk to you here. Now, we talk a lot in Twitter spaces. I always tell people to go and check out my Twitter spaces at The Pollock Show. It comes on 9 p.m., well, 8.45 tonight after The Pollock Show, where we continue the show and the discussion with our guests. And you and I get a lot of discussions on there. You are a very knowledgeable guy. You're also the chair of the Lee County GOP. And uh, you and I have had some conversations about not just Florida State, Oh, you and I disagree very much about Florida State's exclusion <laughs> from the playoff, but you're not here to talk about that. Um, and we've had some discussions about um, what's going on uh, with the Florida GOP chairman, and it was actually an interesting weekend uh, over here in Orlando. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, before I do, if you, if you don't mind me touching on what you just talked about before you went to break oh, regarding the Please. lawsuit, yeah. you know, uh, regarding the, the child um, case there, um, the former chairman of the Lee County GOP, uh, you know, the gentleman that was before me, he is now a state senator here in Florida. That's his bill. His name is Jonathan Martin, Senator, senator Jonathan Martin. You know, I spoke with him about that. Um, you know, when he uh, proposed it last year and it passed, I reached out to him and congratulated him. Um, they basically, you're gonna if you rape a child uh, 12 years or younger here in Florida, you're basically going to get fried. Um, uh, like you said, there is case at the Supreme Court that says that's unconstitutional. So that's why they actually passed this legislation because they knew it was going to happen again, and they were going to try and put this you know person up for uh, electrocution. And then they're going to say, oh, no, you can't do that, you know, against law. So now that we do have a conservative Supreme Court, that's the reason why this law was written and passed. So we can go challenge the law that says it is unconstitutional. So um, great job. I appreciate you bringing some light to that because it's big news. Yes, sir. We had a big meeting in Orlando yesterday. The uh, 40 members of the executive board of the Republican Party of Florida met you know, to discuss the behavior and consequences that, um, you know, are going to be the fallout of Chairman Ziegler's, um, you know, behavior. Um, yesterday we voted 39 to nothing. Um, you know, Chairman Ziegler didn't vote. So we voted 39 to nothing to reduce his salary um, from 115000 or $120,000 a year um, all the way down to $1. That passed. We also uh, removed the ability for him to submit for any reimbursements through the party. Uh, we also stripped him of his uh, authority as chairman. He can no longer hire or fire or speak on behalf of the Florida Republican Party. And, uh, you know, we also uh, voted to censor him. You know, so um, yesterday was really the beginning step um, of the beginning of the end of the, you know, Christian Ziegler chairman saga. Um, you know, it's unfortunate, um, you know, that we had to do all that instead of Chairman Ziegler just, you know, reading the room in the state and probably the nation and just resigning, um, you know, but it appears that, you know, his uh, motivation for staying on board is the fact that, hey, I, I, I haven't been charged. Um, you know, let's wait and let this all play out, you know, but for us at the party, you know, we, we, we hope he doesn't get charged. 
obviously. You know, Christian's a good guy. You know, he just made a really stupid mistake, and he's going to suffer the consequences for it, and he is. Um, you know, but he's under the impression that, hey, well, if I don't get charged, then, you know, we're all good. Well, that's good for him because he doesn't have that legal battle and potentially face in prison. You know, but for us, it's, it's already the minute that he admitted, you know, to the sexual behavior, done. 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 That's all we need to know. We don't need to have the chairman of the state party out here, you know, in engaging in that type of sexual behavior. It's inappropriate. Um, it's it's just disgusting, and it's not something that we would vote for for a leader of our party. I want to ask you a little bit about that because you know you and I have discussed this in other places, and I've talked about it on my show. I'm conflicted about this one, and, and I understand. Uh, you know, the moral implications of, of, of the relationship that he had outside of his marriage, um, whether it be consensual or not, we'll find out. I, I don't think, I think, um, according to, the, and I read this on the, on the air last time, according to the report, uh, the woman who made the allegation did go to the, the hospital, they did a rape kit, and he was never charged. So I, there must be something there because usually somebody goes to jail very quickly once once that occurs. So I don't know where right. that the criminal aspect of it. But the other part is this. So we have to look at what point because remember George Santos just got kicked out of the, of Congress for for being ale- for allegedly committing crimes. He wasn't convicted of anything yet, and and a lot of people were upset. A lot of conservatives are upset that he didn't have his due process. Not so much defending his actions or the allegations, but defending the fact that he wasn't convicted yet. And why are we bending over backwards to kick people out that weren't convicted? And then here, this right. happens right at the same time. The allegations are made. Yes, he did admit to the questionable behavior. But from a policy standpoint, shouldn't the test be whether or not he's doing his job? I mean, I can argue that because of the distraction that's created with this, he will not be able to effectively do his job. And as a result, maybe resignation is the right move. But is resignation because of his behavior the right move? Or is it more because of the distraction that his behavior created? I mean, where does the moral standard lie? I mean, do do we really, I mean, as Republicans, um, you know, nobody's People have their secrets, you know, I'm sure throughout the entire party. And there's a lot of probably people out there fighting a lot of people out there that people respect that have their skeletons. Um, At what point are we trying to really judge people by their policy and their actions versus what they do in their private life? Or is that or is that inseparable? What do you think? Man, that's a great question. Uh, Let me let me let me break it down like this. I'm not interested in going out here and investigating my colleagues and what they do behind closed doors, you know, but when the doors pushed open or kicked down and what's going on in the bedroom becomes front page, I'm sorry. It becomes my problem at that point, you know, so I am going to hold you accountable, right? You can go and do whatever you want. Let's keep it private. But when your private life makes the front page, of the newspaper, well, guess what? Guess who has to deal with it at that point? Not only you, but me and 260-some other people that belong to the party. You know, I mean, I've gotten media requests today from the Miami Herald, CNN, New York Times. You know, I have a job to do. And I also, you know, volunteer over here at the Republican Party. You know, I don't have time to sit here and have to go and try and defend, you know, why the party should keep him or why they shouldn't. You know what? I don't care what people do. Just make sure it doesn't land on the front page of the uh, newspaper if you don't want the party that you're the chairman of, you know, to come out here and start, you know, making comments. Look, 
you know, so Chairman Ziegler yesterday in his defense, you know, um, he, you know, gave a little soapbox speech to everyone on the executive board yesterday. A lot of people were, you know, uh, encouraging him to hurry up. We have things to go do and people to see. We're not here to just listen to you on the soapbox and give us an explanation or lecture us on morality, uh, which he did that as well, which we all kind of thought that was funny, uh, the pot calling the kettle black. You know, he also um, shared with us that, hey, you guys, you know, not too long ago that, you know, there was a discussion here at the Republican Party of, of, about having a, a, moral, a morality oath, right? And he said, you know, there really wasn't an appetite for that. He goes, but now, you know, I'm, you know, in the position that I am. He goes, and you guys want to be the morality police. Well, okay, I get that. And you're right. You know, um, are we going to get in, get out here and start holding every single person accountable? You know, or when you live in a glass house, your, your damn self? I totally get it. Like I said, we're not looking for fights, you know, but don't stand up here and think that you're going to run and be the chairman of the entire state party, right? One of the most conservative states in the union and be the poster child, the chairman of that party and not think that you're going to be held to a higher standard than if you were, as if you were the, you know, precinct committee person in Orange County, Florida, I'm sorry, it comes with a different standard. You know, if he was just a state committee man in Sarasota County, which he is, you know, this probably doesn't turn into this. You know, if he wasn't married to Bridget, it probably wouldn't turn into this. But let's talk about a few other things real quick regarding the law, uh, regarding the accusation. Like you stated before, when someone makes a rape case, the person goes to the, the hospital and, you know, they have their uh, rape kit done, you know, and if it's found, you know, everything lines up, that, that person who's been accused is getting picked up instantly, instantly, right? Well, okay, so it didn't line up. You know, maybe there wasn't rape. You know, maybe there wasn't like any... Um, you know, forced, um, you know, uh, whatever. Also, we're over two and a half months into this now. Okay, why is the why is the Sarasota PD? Why do we have all these leaks coming out of Sarasota PD, drip by drip by drip by drip? You know, when you start thinking about the whole politics thing, don't say gay, David. You can't do that. Don't say gay. Well, who sits on the Disney board over at Reedy Creek? Yeah, okay. You know, who's the chairman of the Republican Party? Oh, okay. You know, these are very high profile visible people, you know, have been who have been out here advocating, you know, for uh, you know, to, you know, protect children, you know, the wholesome family values and things along those lines. You know, so I'm not so sure, you know, that this isn't, you know, an inside job, you know, coming from Disney or coming from, you know, the Democratic Party, or coming from who? I have no idea. But it sounds political to me, the rape accusation, when, you know, it can be heard on the audio tape um, during the sexual encounter that the lady was actually, you know, uh, not fighting it. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, the whole thing is is interesting. I could talk for another half an hour. This now you guys know why we talk so much in Twitter Spaces. Uh, Michael's a wealth of information. I got to run to a hard break. Michael, thank you so much for being here, um, and we're going to continue this conversation later. And I appreciate you coming on the show so much and, and great insight on all of this. Hey man, thank you so much for the invitation. God bless America, yeah, Absol- Florida. Absolutely, God bless America. And we'll have you back on soon again because this was an awesome conversation. So I appreciate you, Michael. Take care of yourself. Have a good night. Thanks, David.
All right, guys, we got to run to a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking to Tim Murtaugh about the swing hard in case you hit it, my escape from addiction, and shot at redemption on the Trump campaign. It's going to be an exciting conversation. You don't want to miss it, so don't go anywhere. David Pollock Show will be right back. Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the streets, the traffic starts jumping With folks like me on the job from nine to five Working nine to five What a way to make Hey guys, welcome back to the David Pollock Show. Uh, before I get back into it, there's a couple of things. I we're, we're having some issues with the commercials tonight, so I'm just going to live read all my commercials tonight and tell you about all my great sponsors. Um, you guys hear me talk about Topper's Creamery all the time. Uh, I think it, I might even memorize the address by now. Is it 500 Hunt Club Road? I'm going to have to look it up. <laughs> but um, I've heard it so many times. The Topper's Creamery um, really is, if you guys, I don't know if you guys have, have had custard-style ice cream. When we lived in St. Louis for a period of time, they had these places there that had custard-style ice cream. It's the first time we've ever had any experience with them. Like, what is this? Imagine soft serve that tastes super rich. They're not so rich, but it's like not like... Fast food soft serve. This is really rich, soft ice cream that you can put a ton of toppings on, whatever you want. They have a ton of fresh toppings. Do you hear me talk about it in the ad? Um, Topper's Creamery really is the best frozen-style custard ice cream around. Um, so you need to go check them out if you don't go. You need to go because you're missing out on a treat. It's to have a drive through so you don't even have to get out of your car. You can stay in your pajamas. And I know it's cold outside, but for all you snowbirds that come down to Florida, it's going to be hot for you. So go get yourself uh, some Topper's ice cream and then bring your dog and get a pup cup, as my brother likes to laugh about when I say for your four-legged friends, they got ice cream for your dog. So go take your dog, take your girlfriend, take your kids, go to Topper's Creamery, get yourself some frozen custard, and put some toppings in it and go nuts. It's the holidays. Don't worry about it. And uh, I also want to remind you, if you guys heard that Beard Vet commercial at the beginning of the show, if you go to BeardVet.com and you want to save some money in Joe Biden's economy, we all need to save money. You can save yourself 10% with promo code David. 10%. And don't forget, they also have Beard Vet Tactical. Now you can go get ammunition and stun guns and survival gear and all kinds of cool stuff and save 10% on that too by putting in promo code David. I mean, seriously, who can't save money right now? Especially with Christmas coming. We're all spending more money on everything. With that, I'm jumping right back into it. I want to welcome my good friend Tim Murtaugh back to the show, a regular guest. He was my first guest ever on this show. He was uh, well on my first show uh, when I had a lot of fun guests on the first show. And this is the last show of the year, and you're on it tonight again. Tim Murtaugh, welcome back to the Dave Pollock Show. Thank you so much for joining. Well, David, thank you very much for having me again. It seems like we're, we've come full circle here. First show and last show of the year. It's quite an honor. Thank you. No, it is my honor to have you because not only do you always offer uh, expert takes on everything that's happening in the political landscape with the primaries and the presidential races because of all the experience you have, um, now you've written a book. And I'm going to be honest, I didn't know this about your history. You know, I only heard, I only heard about the, you know, working on the Trump campaign. I didn't realize that you had the struggle with addiction. And then I see this book and and really how just how you opened up and shared your experiences. And I know this is going to help so many, but it's called Swing Hard in case you hit it. My escape from addiction and shot at redemption on the Trump campaign. And that's what I wanted to have you on the show to talk about tonight. Of course, we'll talk about politics, too. But I wanted to have you on the show to talk about this because what an amazing book. And um, it's going to be out soon here. Uh, and I wanted you to be able to talk about this a little bit with our uh, listeners tonight. So thank you for coming on and, and sharing all this with us. Well, David, thank you very much, and, and thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, it comes out on April 2nd, but it's available for pre-order now on Amazon. It's, uh, and I, I'm grateful to uh, Bombardier Books, which is an imprint of Post, Ho Post Hill Press, <clears throat> for agreeing to publish it and letting me tell this story. 
And I, I think it's very much unlike any kind of political book that, that folks have ever read, by written by somebody in politics. You know, it's, it's, this is a story that, that talks about, it's, uh, it's about half about my experiences on the 2020 campaign with President Trump and the things that I experienced and lots of stories that have never been published before. So if you want an inside look at the 2020 presidential race, this is a good book for you. And the other half of the book is about the, the decades-long struggle with alcohol that I experienced. You know, and so it really, the tagline for this is, you know, from waking up in jail to flying on Air Force One in less than four years. And that, that's the trajectory that I, that I followed, and uh, it took me an awfully long time to be able to put down the bottle. And I was only able to do it when I was faced with almost a certain complete personal and professional ruin. And that's what really drove me to, to get dry in the first place. And that was eight and a half years ago. And I didn't know I was going to be working for the president of the United States when I woke up in jail one day in Fairfax County, Virginia. It sure didn't seem like it on that day, I'll tell you that. Uh, so I'm I'm very grateful to my wife and my family for seeing it through, and and uh, I thank you for letting me uh, promote this book, which is which contains this story. Again, it's available on Amazon.com right now for pre-order. So let's talk about it a little. I mean, what and with, with what's in the book and what you want to share, sort of what what does that arc look like? I mean, how was it the stress of working in politics? Because you've been in politics for a long time. I mean, what what did that look like, and and how did you end up in that jail cell? And then how did you end uh, well, up on the no, Trump campaign? I mean, I can't, I can't say that it was the stress of working in politics because I, I started drinking in high school, and I started drinking to excess in high school. And so, no, it didn't have anything <laughs> to do with the stress of politics. Uh, I mean, that might have been a, a convenient excuse later on, but, I mean, it just got to the point where whether I was in local television as, at the beginning of my career and then, yes, in politics uh, as I got a little bit further on in my, in my life, I, I started doing politics in 1999. Uh, at which point I was already, you know, drinking a lot every single day. Uh, and it just got, as as they say, it's a progressive disease in addiction. It just gets worse and worse and worse, never better. Uh, and the only way to stop is to is stop. You can't just, and for me, in my case, I couldn't just scale it back. And so I had a series of <clears throat> the, uh, lots of different brushes with the law, the drunken publics and public intoxication and things like that. And I had two DUIs as well. And I was on probation for my second DUI. When I had been convicted of that one, I think it was in 2013, uh, I got sentenced to 90 days in jail with 80 of it suspended. So I served 10 days in jail for my second DUI, and, and I was on probation for three years with that 80 remaining days suspended hanging above my head the whole time. And if I ever got in trouble, uh, alcohol-related or otherwise, and got convicted of something, I would go to jail for 80 days. Well, when you know, of course, I went out and got myself another drunken public and got charged with it. And if I had gotten convicted of that, I was going to do 80 days in jail. So that's almost three months of jail. My job would have been gone. And forget about just the job. My career would have been gone. I was working for a member of Congress on Capitol Hill at the time, and that would have just been gone. My wife and my family were just about at their wits end with me, and they didn't know what to do with me. So I, I, there's a good chance I would have lost their support for sure. Uh and so I got a good lawyer, and he gave me some good advice. And what I did was I went and did a whole bunch of community service volunteer hours at an animal shelter. I went to an outpatient uh, alcohol rehabilitation program. I got the interlock device put on my car voluntarily, so I couldn't drive the car if I had blood alcohol level of, of anything above a zero. 
and I did a lot of different things. I went to a ton of AA meetings and got people to sign a little slip to certify that I had been there. And I went into court and I said, these are all the things that I'm doing. I know that this was my last chance. And the prosecutor said, okay, I'll tell you what. I don't want to ever hear your name again. Don't you ever come back into this courtroom again. And they, they did not prosecute me on those charges. I did not go to jail for 80 days, and I haven't had a drink since. That was May 16th, 2015, the last time I got in trouble, and that's the last time I had a drink. Now, it, I mean, it must be it must have been really hard for you to write a book about this, and now you're sharing it, and you've been on a lot of, I mean, you were on Fox News talking about this book, and I mean, that, what is it, how did you find the courage to take something, uh, a part of your life like this, I mean, especially, you know, you're a high-profile guy. You've worked in a very high-profile place with the President of the United States. And here you are talking about vulnerabilities and, and a past that most people would hide from. I mean, you heard me talking to Michael before about, you know, people, you know, hiding from things. Or you're out here just telling everybody. How do you find the courage to do that? I mean, what? how do you do that? I don't know that I would be able to have as much courage as you to, to share this story with the whole world. I mean, what what is driving you? Well, I'll tell you, for a long time I did hide, and it was it was the greatest fear when I was still drinking. The greatest fear that I ever had every single day when I went to work was that that would be the day that my secret was found out. And, you know, it wasn't until years later that I figured out that it wasn't really a secret at all, that everybody knew that I drank a ton, and, you know, that everyone knew that I wasn't at my best when I was at work. And so uh, then in after even after I had quit, I still didn't want anyone to know because I was really deathly afraid that people I had, you know, decent number of brushes with the law. Uh, I wouldn't call myself a career criminal, but I had a lot of different alcohol related arrests and convictions. So some of the minor level that's drunk in public, something like that, but that two DUIs, that's, that's pretty serious offense. And of course I didn't want anybody to know about it. And I did hide it. <clears throat> and I was worried that my current boss, the Congressman was go- was going to learn about all my sordid past and all, all that stuff. And, and I hid it for a long time. And when Donald Trump got elected president, uh, I had worked for I had worked for a number of different people over the years who have been close to a guy named Sonny Perdue, who was the two-term governor of Georgia. And the day before President Trump's inauguration, word came out that Trump was going to pick Sonny Perdue to be the Secretary of Agriculture. Now I didn't know anything about agriculture, and I had never actually met Sonny Perdue, but I knew a lot of people who had worked for him. And I sent a, sent a text to a guy named Nick Ayers. And I said, who had been the executive director of the Republican Governors Association when I worked there, Nick had fired me once during the course of my career because of my alcohol problem. But I sent a text, and and Nick knew that at that point I was sober, and I said, I sure would like to work for Governor Perdue. And the next thing you know, I was comms director at the USDA for Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue. But before I took that job, I told him, I said, they're going to do a background check on me, and let me tell you what they're going to find. And I went through it, and I told him everything that was going to be there. And he said, are you still drinking? And I said, no. And he goes, well, then we don't have a problem. And on we went. And then two years later, when they approached me from the Trump campaign, I said, Would you, you know, you ever, do you ever give a think, uh, think anything about coming and working on the Trump campaign? I said, I would love to. And I sat down with Brad Parscale, the, the campaign manager, and I said, listen, before we go forward, I'm going to tell you something about my past. If anybody does any background research on me, this is what they're going to find. So he said, oh, let me run it past the president. And he came back and he said, the president loves a good redemption story. Uh, the president says, as long as you got it together, you're A-OK. You know, the president's brother, he blames alcohol for the death of his, of his brother. And uh, President Trump has never, never taken a drink. Uh, he says he never had alcohol once in his life. And I believe him. There's no reason to lie about that. And, uh, but I, I value the fact that he 
had enough faith uh, in me and liked the idea of a good comeback story that he said, that's fine. If anybody blows it up, whatever, we're with you. And sure enough, when I got to the Trump campaign, a bunch of reporters contacted me early on, said that they had been fed uh, a package that had my dossier in it, basically, my arrest record, all the different things that I'd gotten charged with and convicted of, including the two DUIs. And these, these Democrat opposition researchers were running around to different reporters trying to get somebody to write the story about Trump's comms director who just got hired because they thought if they could have a nasty story about me, it would hurt the president. And uh, so we very we were able to beat down all those stories, and, and they never got printed. And so I thought about it this way. I know this is a long, rambling answer, and I'm sorry about no, that. No, I love reason, it. I love it. The, I keep going. <laughs> the, there's, there's two real reasons in the end why I decided to write this book. One, I wasn't afraid of the information anymore because I, I knew that the people out there had tried to get the stories printed and had failed the first time because we were able to, to convince reporters that it wasn't news, that a staffer had a drinking problem six years prior, right? At this point, it was six years earlier. Um, but I was also more, had been the communications director for the president of the United States on his reelection campaign. I was more confident in my career at that point, And I was not afraid of that information anymore. You know, a, a younger man, younger, earlier in my career, I was afraid of it. When I got older and, and more settled in my career and more established, I was not. So I can't, I, 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 any bravery that you think I have today is not something that I had you know, 10 years ago that I would have been willing to talk about. Um, so when I was in rehab, and I went to rehab a couple of times, actually five times, once uh, outpatient, as I mentioned, but four times inpatient for 28-day programs, although once I left early. Uh, when I was there, I went to the bookstore all the time and the gift shop, and I bought all the titles that I could read. They had clinical stuff, things that read like textbooks, and that was interesting about what alcohol and different substances do to your bodies. But I preferred to read the stories about real people telling their own stories about how they got sober and how they escaped the madness that alcoholism is. And I thought, you know, I can write one of those now because I do have a, a story that triumphs over it. And it helped me stay sober while I was writing it because I know, like all addicts, I'm one drink away from spiraling out of control all over again. And so it, by writing this, it helps me. But it also might help somebody else who enjoys reading stories about how other people made it through, which is what I enjoyed reading when I, when I needed to help. And the second thing is, these opposition researchers will never be able to use it against me again, ever. If a reporter ever comes to me and says, hey, I got some information that says you had a couple of DUIs and you used to have a bad alcohol problem, I'm going to say, yeah, you know what? I wrote a book about it. Please buy a copy. <laughs> I, I mean, and it's so great because, you know, people can read your story and, you know, rehab several times and brushes with the law and then see the success you've had um, after you became sober. And I, I really do think people who might be feeling a little bit down and feeling, especially coming into the holiday season, I know it's a tough time for a lot of people in recovery, um, you know, they can read your book and, and, and hear your story and have hope that, you know, they have a success story in there too. And what I also love about your story is how you talk about President Trump liking a redemption story. And, you know, a lot of people don't know President Trump personally. They hear things about President Trump. But one thing that I've heard from people who know Trump personally is that this idea that he is this caring person, is a, a good person that cares about people. And, and this story you told about giving you this redemption story, I think, says a lot about the man himself. Uh, could you talk a little bit about that? Have you ever had any personal conversations with Trump about you know, your history with alcoholism and, and, and his take on it and his uh, giving you this chance at redemption? 
No, I don't think I ever did have a, have a conversation directly with him about it. You know, when I came on board, before I did, I told Brad Parscale about it. Like I, like I said, he was the campaign manager at the time, and Brad's the one who ran it past the president. And, you know, the times that are when, – when, you know, the most valuable thing in the world when you're on the campaign is the candidate's time. Yeah. So you know, they're not making – you can't get more than 24 hours in, in every single day. And when your candidate also happens to have the day job of being the president of the United States, you know, your, your time with him is – so quick and you know there's so many demands on this time we always when i was talking to him it was always you know what was the task at hand that's what we were talking about um so no i never had time to go and have a introspective conversation with him about it but it was enough for me to know that he was aware of it prior to me being hired and he kind of shrugged his shoulders and said you know is he good today then fine okay let's move forward you know nobody's going to tell me who i can't hire basically was was his attitude um, so, but I, I do think it shows the mark of a man that uh, he knows <clears throat> you can have had some some mistakes and some things in your past, and you can overcome them and move forward. It does, just because uh, I had a hard time defeating my addiction does not mean that I can't be a strong contributor to whatever the project might be that I'm assigned to. And if that's in the political world, great. It happens to be that that's where I ended up in politics. And I, I hope that I would, uh, if I had not gone into politics, that I would have encountered some people who were as understanding as, as Brad and, and uh, President Trump were uh, at that time. I mean, I'm, I, I can't even tell you how grateful I am. I would not be on this show talking to you right now uh, if he hadn't had the confidence to give me to give me that chance, and, and I'm, I'm very grateful for it. Yeah, I, I love your I love your story, and, and I love the fact that you're sharing it because, again, I, I do think it's going to give people hope. I mean, I don't think if people are not in the political world, and you know, I, I I asked earlier, and you said no, your drinking started in high school, but being in politics for those who are never involved in politics, there really is no more stressful situation, especially working. And I've never worked on a presidential campaign, but I know from you and I have had discussions about how stressful it could be working on a presidential campaign, and you know, because of the stress involved in politics. And especially at a very high level, a lot there is a lot of alcohol in Washington D.C. I mean, you can't go anywhere. I mean, they have alcohol in their in the congressional office. It's everywhere because it's yeah. such a high stress environment. And yet, you're able to work on a presidential campaign, Trump's presidential campaign, by the way. I mean, this isn't just a presidential campaign. This is probably one of the biggest presidential campaigns ever at this at this point in 2020. And still, you're able to remain sober. You're able to remain strong. And if you can do that. Who every anybody can? I mean, you know, a lot of people are encountered with a lot of um, challenges to their sobriety, and here you are faced with it constantly in the stress of the moment. I'm sure there was alcohol around you about everywhere you went, and still you were able to remain sober. I think that's a a message that I think will resonate with a lot of people. What do you think? Well, I mean, I hope so. I, I certainly I hope a lot of people buy this book. And uh, again, I'm, I'll drop the title here. It's called Swing Hard in Case You Hit It, and it's available for purchase uh, pre-order right now on Amazon.com. You can either search for my name, Tim Murtaugh, on Amazon, or search for the title, which is kind of easy to remember. Swing hard in case you hit it, and the the subtitle is My Escape from Addiction and Shot at Redemption on the Trump Campaign. But I don't don't know whether there's more alcohol in politics uh, than there is in other places. I mean, I know I have friends who I have met in, in different settings who drink as much as I do, <laughs> and not every one of them works in, in politics. Some of them do, some of them don't. And, I, you know, it's kind of a one of the things that you learn is when you're going through AA and the different things like that is that you don't necessarily, it doesn't do anybody any good to compare your story against somebody else's story and say, oh, you know, I'm not as bad as that guy. You know, I, I 
and certainly there were some people who had worse problems, legal problems than me, people who had less legal problems. Some people had no, never had a legal problem and then still were raging alcoholics and never once, somehow never once got arrested. I know that my problems were bad enough for me, and it was almost too much for me to handle, and I almost got defeated by it. And, and, and I don't, you know, this book is not preachy. It's not, I, I, I am not an Alcoholics Anonymous uh, evangelist. Uh, and I'm not someone who's going to be, you know, we're talking about spirituality and uh, heavy reliance on, on things of that nature. And that works for a lot of people. It really does. And I think it's great. Uh, for me, what I needed to get sober was to be smacked in the face with the end of everything. And that's what happened. That's the only thing that shook me out of it was that if you don't get out from under this particular legal problem right now, you're going to go to jail for almost three months, and everyone will abandon you. That's what I was faced with. And that was the motivation that I need. Other people don't need that level of, of, uh, of threat. Some people maybe need more. I don't know. All I know is this is my story. This is how I got through. Uh, and that's what half of this book is about. The other half uh, is about the, some experiences that I had on the Trump campaign. And it, I tried to write it in such a way, like if I wrote it just as a straight timeline uh, chronology of my life, I'm not sure anybody would ever get through to the part where the Trump campaign begins in 2020, you know, uh, tell my whole life story. Who wants to listen to that? So what I did was I alternated chapters. One chapter chapter is back when I was drinking. The next chapter is something that happened on the Trump campaign years later. Right. So that's that's the way I, I tried to I tried to tell. And I think there's a lot of good stories in there all from the campaign side as well. Everyone tends to focus on the recovery part and the redemption story part, which I think is great. And I think that's what makes this book different from other political books. But I think the political stuff is interesting, too. Awesome. I'm going to take a super quick break. If you have a few minutes uh, and when I come back, I want to hear more about maybe some of those stories on the campaign trail. And I also want to get your take about where we are uh, on the, in the uh, in the primary campaign right now. I mean, like a few minutes left in the show. I'll squeeze in as much as I can. Um, but if you have the few minutes, uh, stick around for a second and then we'll uh, pick this back up in just a moment. You bet. Thanks, Tim. today's economic environment, it's never been more important to secure your hard-earned wealth for you and your family's future. FinSec Life works to offer industry-leading customer service to help successful individuals and businesses protect their wealth. Whether it's a business succession plan, estate liquidity, or a variety of life and long-term care policies, FinSec Life can help deliver peace of mind, knowing that if something happens, you or your company is taken care of. Visit FinSecLife.com. That's F-I-N-S-E-C Life.com. Securities offered through Valmark Security, Inc., member FINRA, and SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Valmark Advisors, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. FinSec Life is a separate entity from Valmark Securities, Inc. and Valmark Advisors, Inc. Business owners, are you sick of dealing with those big-name telecommunications companies that leave you frustrated with terrible customer service and then lock you into long-term contracts? That's why I want to introduce you to my friends over at Public Telephone Company. They are an industry-leading VOIP provider offering all-in-one business communication solutions that are completely contract-free with competitive pricing. But perhaps the best part, they're all about supporting their customers with U.S.-based customer service and they're always willing to go the extra mile. Don't let your phone company drive you mad. Call Public Telephone Company today at 877-314-4080 or visit them at publictelephonecompany.com. That's publictelephonecompany.com.
Welcome back to the David Pollock Show. I like this music, Tim. This is your redemption music. I can see you just running on the campaign trail with boxing gloves on and a sweatband running up the Capitol steps, right? Yeah, I guess so. But nothing nothing will ever beat Rocky 1, if I'm not mistaken. If I'm not mistaken, that's from Rocky 2 or 3. So, although Rocky doesn't win the fight until Rocky 2. You know, I don't even re- I've watched a Rocky movie so long ago. I only remember like the things that are cliche that everybody remembers. And I'm not sure if I remember it from the movie or just from all the memes and stuff made out of it. But maybe it's a maybe it's a Christmas movie to rewatch is all the Rockies. Uh, I don't know how much of a Christmas movie is, but Rocky won. He loses the fight. Ah, well, see, now you just ruined it for me. Now I don't need to watch it. <laughs> Nobody... Spoiler. Spoiler. <laughs> if you haven't seen Rocky, don't listen to this show. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I got four minutes left in the show, and I'm trying to figure out the best thing oh, to I'm ask sorry. you. Now, by the way, we're going to meet, we're going to have another conversation at 8.45 p.m. tonight, guys, on the David Pollock Show post Pollock Show space on Twitter X. If you go to at the Pollock Show, which is my handle, Tim Murtaugh will be there. We're going to have a much longer discussion. It won't be so rushed. We don't have commercial breaks. And we're going to pick this up and over there. So if you guys want to continue the discussion, follow us over there at 845 p.m. at the Pollock Show over on Twitter X or whatever we're calling it. Uh, now i got three minutes and 40 seconds, Tim. Uh, real quick, let me just ask you then, and we'll pick up the Trump part of the conversation over in the Twitter space. In, in two minutes... What's your assessment of where the campaign lies right now? I know early on you said Trump's going to win it. Uh, now we're pretty sure. What's your assessment of the campaign, where we are right now? Yeah, I, I think what's pretty obvious is that it's been this way for a long, long time, as you and I have both talked before, that this is Trump's nomination. Unless something existential happens to him, uh, he he is the Republican nominee. And, and on the other side, it's uh, odds on, I don't see any reason why to, to doubt it, it's going to be Biden. So it's going to be a rematch of 2020. I think there are some interesting dynamics at play here. I mean, I have never seen a campaign in as much chaos as the DeSantis campaign is. I mean, with all the departures and Jeff Rowe, the the chief strategist for the Super PAC, how they farmed out all the different uh, responsibilities of the major ones, like the ground game and everything, from the campaign to the Super PAC, which is unprecedented. And I think you're seeing what happens when you give up a lot of the responsibilities that a campaign normally would have and give it over to an organization that you really can't fully control and legally shouldn't be able to control or coordinate at all. And that blew up in their face, and it, it just has not gone well. And I think you see there's even more difficulties for Ron DeSantis because anyone's only chance right now, only chance, and I don't think they have one, but even if they did, the only chance is to consolidate all of the non-Trump vote behind one candidate, right? So DeSantis is going to still be laying it all on the line in Iowa, and he got endorsed by the governor of Iowa out there. But what's happening next after Iowa is New Hampshire, of course, and the governor of New Hampshire has endorsed Nikki Haley. So that is, that's the opposite of consolidating behind one candidate. They're diluting their, their different endorsements now and trying to prop up Nikki Haley as like the new alternative. So the field, instead of becoming united behind one candidate, the field is actually fracturing, if you look at it that way, which spells even more doom for anyone not named Trump, if you ask me. So that's just another indicator to me that, that this is Trump's. He's going he's gonna, to he's pulling away the national polls. Heck, in Nevada, he's got, he's, he's got 75 percent of the vote in Nevada. He's, he's beating Ron DeSantis by about 40 points in Florida, which is astounding. So yeah. that's where we're headed right now, unless something dramatic changes that no one can foresee. It's Trump v. Biden, part two. 
Yeah, look, you and I are going to have a lot more conversations about this because we'd love to have you back from now until Election Day because, you guys, this is where you want your election coverage. I mean, Tim has worked inside the Trump campaign, and he knows his stuff politically. So we're going to keep seeking your incredible insight as we talk about this going forward. Tim, thank you so much for sharing your story, sharing your book, um, and sharing uh, your knowledge. We're going to talk more on this post-show Twitter space. Guys, I want to remind you, go to Amazon, pre-order Swing Hard in case you hit it, My Escape from Addiction, and shot at redemption on the Trump campaign. Tim Murtaugh, thank you so much for coming on the show yet again. David, thanks a lot. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, we'll talk very soon. All right, guys, that's it. We're at the end of another exciting David Pollack show. I don't know where the time goes. So much more I want to talk to you about, but you're going to have to wait until the new year because it's Christmas next Monday. It's New Year's Day the Monday after. Maybe I'll pre-record some surprises for you. You're just going to have to stay tuned. But until then, you can always find me on Twitter at The Pollock Show, where our post-show space is going to be. And as always, make sure you go and get yourself some Topper's ice cream. Get yourself some telephone services, a public telephone company. Get yourself some financial services with FinSec. And get yourself some Beard Vet. Good night. Just